Very warm welcome to this week's Bromsgrove and Droidwich Standard Podcast. Thank you for joining us. And also joining us today is Councillor Adam Kent, ahead of a big um, big meeting tonight at Bromsgrove District Council. We spoke a few weeks ago about the local plan and the need to build on not only green belts but greenfield sites as well. Um, and now tonight that will all be voted on. Um, it is expected to go through, but obviously you can't take anything for granted. Um, and I'm and here to tell us a bit more is Adam. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. You all right? Yeah, I'm all good, thank you. So, tell us a bit about this, because, it, I mean, we've been through this before, um, just saying that, you know, Bromsgrove hasn't, unlike other areas, got enough brownfield sites, has it, to, to build on? I mean, some areas have got, you know, factory land and, and things. Obviously, some of them are, can be contaminated and things, and then you have to wait for that. But Bromsgrove's got nothing like that, has it? It's pretty much nearly all greenbelt, but nearly 80%. So you've got an issue whereby to meet the housing need that we've got to provide, I mean, it's a government-led strategy, you've got to obviously estimate how many houses you're going to need up to a particular time. So we're looking up to 2040. And then obviously you've got to have a call for sites. You've got to work out where they're going to go. And then you've got to assess all of those sites. You want to obviously make sure that they're going to be sustainable, that we can provide affordable housing, and certainly these days also try and make sure there's a green element to it all as well with solar power and uh, renewables and everything else like that. And electric charging points. And electric charging points of all flavours, yes. Every house has got to have one, is that right? Well, to be honest, it's quite interesting really because if you do drive an electric car, just plugging into your standard, if you get a charger fitted at a standard home, it still charges at sort of like 20, 25 mile an hour. So overnight, you can pretty much fill the tank, if you know if you know what I mean. Mm. So it doesn't have a massive effect on the structure of the property from an no. electricity point of view, but it may well be that it might be worth looking at providing, say, fast charging points yeah. on housing estates and things like that so those that need something a bit quicker can. And it is, it is so much cheaper, isn't it? I interviewed a taxi driver. Um, a few months back and he was saying that he's uh, obviously he's a taxi driver so he uses much more fuel than uh, your average Joe um, but he had um, £7,000 fuel bill reduced to £700 per year so that was a tenth and then the other thing he said about it was that um, you know it's a standard £90 charge for your service because obviously there's not any really bad particles going through your engine and things like that um, so uh, so that's that's really good as well but uh, obviously the elephant in the room is the fact that they cost about £30,000 and I think I put the last one I paid for my uh, my Mondeo that I drive at the moment was I think it was about £2,500 or something Yeah but I suppose a lot of people do things on the PCPs or on the monthly yeah. fee and I had something come through over the email this month for a, a high branded car for like £199 a month hmm. so I think they're going to become a lot more affordable and I think the driving factor that you've said obviously is it's so much cheaper and the other benefit is there's no pollution no I mean so it's solving a problem that we've had building up without us having to strategically really address it because if you've got big diesels out there chucking loads of fumes out I mean on yeah. a housing site it could be adjacent to a motorway or a dual carriageway and if those fumes are no longer present it's a much more enjoyable place to live obviously yeah going back because we digress but going back to Bromsgrove we have got a lot of those kind of roads haven't we with the A38 and the M5 and the M42 and those kind of things so um, obviously it, it's inevitable that houses will be built around those areas so according to the calculations using the government's designated formula the number of homes being built will need to be at least 6,443 meaning 379 will have to be constructed every year up till 2040 now the call for sites 
we've got. Um, so tell us a bit about this. What you want is you want landowners to come forward if they've got a patch of land or if they've got a business, as we've seen with some sites in Bromsgrove, if they've got a business that's no longer viable, they could uh, have that bulldozed and have it replaced with housing. Well, it might be that a business is relocating, so that's a good point. Obviously, if we've got brownfield land, we want to use it. We really do. We want to make the best use of what we've got. There might be somewhat increasing density in the town centres and the, the, the other centres. But really, that is the crux of it. It's a call for sites. And basically, what it is, is at this stage, we ask people to submit sites that they believe will be useful for housing. And then they're weighted when they come in as to sustainability and suitability to then obviously prioritise specific sites that are potentially going to be used for development in the future. And what kind of criteria will we be looking at um, to deem one of the sites you know, um, suitable for housing? Well, as part of the pack for the meeting tonight, and it's downloadable on the internet, they've got all of the areas are listed and then they're weighted in terms of the type of characteristics that are there. So there's no point in putting a site forward, for example, that has no access to the roads, is nowhere near a doctor's, hasn't got a school with vacancies available and hasn't got any shops there. I mean, what we're looking for things that are going to have the minimal impact on the people that re- live in the Bromsgrove district. And I think a lot of the time people think of this as Bromsgrove strength centric and it's not Bromsgrove district is a big wide area Bromsgrove is a town in the corner of it but there are a lot of other areas out there and each of those areas has their own identity really Bromsgrove is a very weird district isn't it because I mean I live in South Birmingham and sometimes we'll go to Hales Owen or something and then there's um you know down by there towards Romsley and, and Bell Broughton and things and and you'll turn a corner and it'll suddenly say welcome to Bromsgrove district and then you, all of a sudden you'll be out of it again and you'll be in, into a different area yeah and that's one of the key things obviously in the north of the district you've got very close proximity to Birmingham and then on the east side you've got Solihull and whatever so I mean, one of the things that we want to try and do as well is is build the, un- the build the employment up in Bromsgrove so that we're actually getting people able to find jobs and work in Bromsgrove rather than always leaving Bromsgrove to be somewhere else. We don't want it to be a commuter town to other areas, and that's something that really we're going to look at very closely to try and make sure we've got good quality, high-paid jobs in our district. Well, that's the difference, isn't it? Because, I mean, I know previously I spoke to previous leaders of Bromsgrove District Council who were happy for Bromsgrove to be a community town. And, I mean, that was part of the reason for the new station, wasn't it? Um, Bromsgrove and, and the West Midlands, he's, he's got the biggest rail footfall um, anywhere else in the United Kingdom. And it's a case of a lot of people having lovely houses in Bromsgrove and going to Birmingham and Worcester to work. And that's how it's always been. But you want to reverse that? Well, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't say specifically reverse it. I think we want to make it a lot easier for people. Look, at the end of the day, it's great if you can hop on a train and get where you're going to to work. But if it means you're getting in a car and you're driving there, you're putting the burden onto the infrastructure you've got. And that's the difficult thing for us to deal with. Um, So if you can put jobs within walking distance of the houses, then it absolutely makes sense, doesn't it? But there have got to be quality jobs. What we want to try and make sure within Bromsgrove Town Centre specifically is that we can upscale those types of jobs that are available. So you're not just going into a retail job or something like that great as they are with, with with great career paths but maybe we can bring some sort of technology in in side into it and start to develop a much much better structured employment in that area now 
Um, we've got obviously the Bromsgrove Homes and we've also got the duty to cooperate as well that's going to be coming in, which is obviously um, Birmingham and Redditch will be wanting to build homes in Bromsgrove District. Um, and with this, you know, with the local plan that's being put together, uh, you can, to a certain extent, can't you, have a say on where their homes go as well? Well, it's quite interesting. I'm having many meetings on this with all of the neighbouring areas. I mean, it's just not Birmingham and Redditch. You've got Solihull, you've got Black Country, Dudley, and all of those other areas that are all looking at what they're trying to do. I think Birmingham's been very successful with brownfield development. And, you know, you've got to look at each area and understand what they want to do. They're obviously going out and saying they don't want to build in Greenbelt and their patch. So you can bet your bottom dollar we're going to be defending our part very, very strongly in terms of what we're doing. And I think you've got to be very careful in, in the numbers that you look at and what you're there. But we're we're lobbying Bromsgrove's case as hard as we possibly can. Well, Birmingham's vying to be the UK's number one and first tree city. Did you know that? That's tremendous. <laughs> It is. It might not be so tremendous if you've got to fend off loads of uh, loads of incoming uh, applications. So you've got that. Um, we've got that. Tonight. There is going to be obviously there's a conservative majority in the council, so this will be voted on tonight. I could say we're pretty. You know, if the numbers go with you, then it's expected to be voted through, and then the call for sites will begin on Monday, won't it? That's right. But I would say we've been running a very open strategic planning group that all, it's a cross-party group. So everybody's been able to ask questions and submit into this. I mean, there were over three and a half thousand representations on the initial options document. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think it's it's accepted by all parties that we've got to build houses for our for our residents. You know, you've got to be able to move somewhere when you're young and it's you need somewhere to downsize to when you're older. So I think really, yeah, I'm, I'm very hopeful it'll go through. But that's this is just the very start of the process. There's consultation for six weeks as well, as well as the call for site. So if anybody's got anything they want to put across or get a point across, there's plenty of time to do it. And again, that starts on the same date as the call for sites. So, yeah, so on, we've received um, um, an email, as you'd imagine, with um, from the independent councillors representing Alf Church, Bart Green, Hagley, Withall. And they're they're calling for the call for science to be suspended, um, but that's that's the that's the um, stance they'll be taking tonight, um, which you could have probably predicted, or I don't know. Um, so um, they say the primary purpose for the call for science is to meet Bromsgrove's own housing assessment, but included in the assessment will be to gauge the extent of the green belt that might be required for overspill from Birmingham and the West Midlands uh, conurbation. We don't believe the people of Bromsgrove real, realise the full impact upon the green belt that this call for science will have especially when factoring the demand from neighbouring authorities for housing and economic development. So what would you say to that? I'd say that's quite interesting because obviously all of these people have been attending the strategic planning group and never said a word. So it seems quite interesting that they want to put it before a council meeting in the full blaze of the press or whatever else. But we've got a very open consultation process in what we're doing. So from my point of view, we've got a statutory duty to do this review with the government numbers and everything mm. else that we put forward. So I'm confident that we'll be able to uh, get 
get this to move forward because at the end of the day it's to benefit the residents of Bromsgrove district you can't just kick this can down the road it will create an awful lot more problems if we don't deal with this now and um, at the end of the day the process is is running over a number of years it's not something that's going to be finished in the next five minutes so it's probably going to take two three four years to get this to completion there's plenty of time for consultation we have regular meetings it's just a shame that, that probably somebody's trying to make a bit of political capital out of it okay so they've had their say um, they've been able to talk to you and there will be time as well from monday people can have their say on the consultation then can't they yeah, they can. And the point you you made earlier, I think you mentioned the 379 houses that we've got to build per year. The figure at the moment is 368. It's yeah. an extra 10 from what we're doing now. Mm. I mean, this the trouble is the number looks huge yeah. because you're setting it out to 2040. Mm. But you were saying we've got to build 379. Well, at the moment, we've got to build 368. Those are current targets. One a day. So, yeah, so, and, and what's that? An extra 11 to what we're currently doing. So I know the numbers put, make people think, oh, gosh, what are we going to do? But at the end of the day, it's, it's pretty much steady as we go, and it's the same as we currently are. So just to make it clear then, once, the, once you've got the call for sites, the council will it'll be officers when it analysing the best sites, will it? Yeah, there's clear weighting and guidance that you've got to do to work out what is suitable. Some of the factors that I mentioned earlier are absolutely critical. Access to infrastructure, schools, GPs, shops, all of those things, and uh, and uh, impact on other local areas. There's key rules about not built, bringing two developments together, do you know what I mean, to create one big large area, and uh, that all of those things will be weighted and assessed accordingly. So hopefully what you'll have is a list of the most suitable sites eventually. So once the report comes out, then look, I know we're looking way in the future, but people will want to know. When we're looking in the future um, and there'll be a report compiled and the sites will be listed, um, will it be done like in an order of preference? Um, yeah, I think really at the end of the day, what, what you're looking at, we're looking for sites up to 2040 and probably obviously what if we were being sensible, we'll be looking beyond that as well. So when you're doing an exercise of this nature, you put everything into the pot and then yes, you would, you would basically rank them in terms of suitability and then, then that would be the way that they're actually administered in future. And are the public able to have their say? I mean, I know we're... At the moment, we're a, we're a country that's, you know, constantly talking about referendums and votes and things. Will the people be able to, to have their say once that list is out? Oh, of course you will. I mean, at the end of the day, just because it's on the list doesn't mean it's got planning permission. There's, there's a huge procedure all the way through, really. So I think, yes, the, certainly all the way through. The, 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 this is a living document. Um, as you go through, things will change. Circumstances will change. The economy will change. So you've got to keep adjusting all the time, all the way through. So yes, there'll, there'll always be the ability for the public to come back with their views and they will be properly recorded and and checked. So just looking through this independent um, document we've been sent, um, they will want to make an amendment tonight. That's what they're going to be trying to put through. Um, um, and they're saying, furthermore, there's a number of steps we feel haven't been met under the national planning policy framework. They say they want the cabinet's um, recommendation, from, the recommendation from cabinet. They want to suspend the call for sites and complete a statement of common ground with Redditch, Witchhaven and Boyer Forest. As a district, we have enough land availability for our needs under the current plan, including a, so uh, including a, a site at Fox Lydiot. So... Yeah. 
Yeah, this is really interesting, isn't it? I mean, one of the things, I mean, I've come into politics, I suppose, quite new from the private sector, you know, trying to work out what the best way to get things done mm. and to meet them. So when you have a strategic planning group that meets every month where everybody's yeah. got an opportunity, why would you suddenly come up with something that you haven't discussed in any of those groups, you haven't raised any of those concerns mm. just before a big political meeting? So from my point of view, obviously I'm disappointed they've done that, not raised it through the proper channels. But at the end of the day, if you kick this can down the road, it doesn't come without a huge set of problems. No. Yeah. And we have to deal with this now. Now, all the duty to cooperate, we're talking to all of these people. I've had a meeting today to talk about our approach with Soli Hall. I've got a meeting with them in the next couple of weeks. We're talking to everybody all the time. Our plan is to 2040. Some of these other areas have got plans to 2025, 2030 etc. We're looking further down the line. So mm. you've got to look at all of the aspects, really. You can't expect everybody to do their plan. At exa- well, that would be lovely, wouldn't it, no. if everybody was going to do it all at the same time. Yeah. And we had one big meeting in January, and we all sat there and decided what we're going to do. But it doesn't work like that. You've got different areas, different responsibilities, and different timescales. So I think that's just trying to make political And I suppose you could really. argue as well, you could argue that, you know, you'd have Bromsgrove with Redditch and then Bromsgrove with Kidderminster, and then Kidderminster with Birmingham, and then Birmingham's got to ask the black country. And, and in the end, but Redditch will have, have to talk to, to Solihull, yeah, and yeah. Birmingham have got to talk you to Redditch. To yeah. Where do you go with this? I no. mean, seriously, it's, a, okay. it's an area of common sense, but what you've got to understand all the way through, each of these sites has still got to get planning permission. Yeah, and I suppose at the end of the day, the message is, is to make sure the council's got the most control it has got available to it with this local plan, so it can determine what type of housing it wants, where it wants it, and when it wants it built. I mean, people are crying out for affordable homes. Part of what we're doing when we're doing greenfield sites is 40% of those homes have to be affordable. Mm. You know, and this, this is getting people off the waiting lists. To kick this down the road is depriving somebody who is on a waiting list now of a home. I think it's grossly irresponsible. Do you, think, do you think that Bromsgrove's got to be stricter on that as well? Because I've been in planning meetings as as you probably have as well, where they, you know, the developers will say, oh, no, that's not viable. We'll give you 25% or we'll build you some more affordable housing, but not on that site. We'll build it over here and stuff. Bromsgrove surely has got to be more more rigorous with these developers we, and make sure that they stick to that. If it is 40%, they've got to stick to 40%. They, have, they can't just, just say, oh, no, we'll give you 25% because it's not really viable for us. They, they won't get through planning if they do that. I mean, look, at the end of the day, the planning committee is an independent group of councillors. It's a cross-party group that look at each application on its merits. And the Bromsgrove plan is quite clear. With, with brownfield sites, because of the additional cost, I think the figure is 30%, but with greenbelt or greenfield sites, it's 40% because it's obviously cheaper for them to develop. And what we've got to make sure is that our young and elderly people and those people on a waiting list have got somewhere to go. You kick this down the road, it's all very well saying, fine, I'm a NIMBY or whatever else. But it's our children that need a home to go and live in. Oh, it's no, our no. parents that want a bungalow. And if you're not going to build them, where are they going to go? They'll go somewhere else. Well, I realise that as well. And obviously, one of the biggest criticisms is that Bromsgrove is building too many homes for older people and not enough. For, for young families well I think that's changed now with the affordable side and, and that's something I've looked at in great detail in terms of the way they worked so if you've got 40% affordable homes out of 100 then you know it's quite clear and we've all seen on the new developments these coming into force now it didn't used to be the case but it is very very common now I'm seeing it certainly across my county division which is with all as well I'm seeing affordable homes 
in these developments that are giving people an opportunity to move into a house that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. My daughter's on a degree apprenticeship at the age of 19 in Telford. She's able to buy an affordable home on a 50% share. You know, so that's what I want to be able to give people the opportunity to do, to have that same chance that they've got in Telford and those areas in Bromsgrove. So on behalf of the council, when this Greenbelt land does start to get, you know, used for housing, can you categorically promise to our standard readers and listeners that if it's Greenbelt land, you will insist that developers do a 40% affordable housing? I'm quite happy. Look, at the end of the day, I'm elected. I'm elected on what I say I'm going to do. I'm elected on what I do when I'm actually there. And that's that's how people decide whether you are suitable for that job. So I can absolutely guarantee there is going to be the right number of affordable homes on these sites. That's what we need. I want to see young people have the opportunity that my daughter's had in Telford, in Bromsgrove. And I want to be able to deliver those solutions for those residents that are want to downsize, you know, there's a couple of them living in a house with four bedrooms. That that house is needed by a family, but where do they go? If we don't build anything, I think it's an incredibly selfish way to look at it from the independents, to be honest. It is. Well, it is. It, it, I mean, it, it is. It is a problem with the um, with that because you've also you, you've got a lot of um, there are a lot of older people who who would move, wouldn't they? If the homes were there, if the bungalows were there, and or, or like you know the the smaller properties, because obviously once your kids move out and stuff, you you don't need that amount of space. It's nice to have, but. Well, wouldn't it be ideal if you could see sort of a, an area where you've got sort of masonettes where the ground floors for the elderly and the, the up fo- upper floors for a younger, younger family or a younger couple? I mean, it's very difficult, but, but we need to ingratiate and get people to live together like this. And that's an ideal opportunity, isn't it? Bungalows are great, but they, they're not brilliant for using mm. land, really. But there's many other ways. You could go up slightly higher. We could build more things in the town centres, increase the density there. I've got an office in Birmingham, and I've seen the, density, I've seen the whole area change you know in terms of in town living really and then that provides the sustainability for the shops you know i mean it's all right for the people of Alv- the, the, the people of Alvarez say we're not going to build any houses but they're the first to complain when the butcher's closes down yeah. you know you've got to get the right level you build these houses you keep your villages going obviously this isn't on the agenda now but I would like to ask you about that, actually, because a few years, that was a big plan for Bromsgrove. It was to make sure all the upstairs properties above shops in the high street and in the town centre were occupied by people living there. Because, I mean, it is, it is unused space a lot of the time, isn't it? Um, and is there anything you can do for that? I think there's a lot, actually. I think we've got to look at the way town centres operate. We've got to look at the way they're going to operate in the future. Let's be honest, all of us in this room, yourself, me, we buy off the internet. We get it delivered in a two-hour time slot at home. The nature of the high street has changed. And I can see it probably changing to a more niche and cottage-type industry where you've got small local people able to take on a shop where they've got business and rates relief. And maybe they do live above it. You know, what a great Mm. place. You know, you want to open a small niche butchers or whatever and you can live in a flat and young people can start a business in that way and I think I'd like to see that really and perhaps some of those shops could be converted back into residential within the town centres because then you're providing more customers for the shops that are left. Well also as well people with mobility problems would be better off in the high street because you know they can they'll have everything on their doorstep absolutely so you know from my point of view I'd love to see this done with the high street I think at the end of the day you, it's, you can't keep 
progress back. I mean, we, we're constantly seeing change in technology and everything that changes the way that we live and work. And you can be in denial for these things, but at the end of the day, we need some change in the high street. And I think we've all been to these little villages where you've got two or three houses and then a couple of craft shops. And we like to go there. We like to spend time there. And I'd really love to see that for Bromsgrove and the outlying areas as well. I think you need to go and speak to your officers about that high street plan. <laughs> In the meantime, we're going to. Um, thanks for coming in today. Will you hang around to talk about some news stories with us? Yeah, sure, no problem. Okay, but first, let's have a look at um, Droitwich because on Monday, a Droitwich Town Council held its meeting, and it was quite a packed agenda. To be honest, I think there was about eighteen items on there, which is uh, not normally the uh, the level that you get. And one of the things on the agenda was the um, Droitwich becoming a dementia-friendly town. So um, we were there on Monday, and if you remember last, about two years ago, there was a big vote on this very issue, and it was, um, it was kind of turned down uh, with the town council actually um, requesting more information. But there was a different story uh, this time, and it did go through, and afterwards I caught up with Peter Pinfield, who is a representative of the patient's participation group for the Droitwich Doctors' Surgeries. <laughs> You're listening to the Bromsgrove Standard Podcast because you have impeccable taste. With me, I have Peter Pinfield from the Patients and Users of Droitwich Spa Surgeries. Now, we've had a good result tonight, Peter. We've had um, a unanimous um, vote on Droitwich Spa becoming a dementia-friendly town. Tell us a bit about it. It is a fundamental decision. It's a real, real... Um, f- Good, good news for dementia sufferers, dementia carers. It needs the town council to be behind it as a philosophy uh, and support what we're trying to do in the next 12 months. So it's been a real good result. We were disappointed a few um, years back when we locked, when it wasn't accepted, but now tonight, different mood, different um, uh, commitment. I'm really pleased that the town have come behind this uh, initiative. Now, we don't want to dwell on it too much the last time, but it was, it did seem like, uh, you know, um, an obvious thing to go for because you wouldn't say like you were, um, you know, not, not um, another illness um, friendly town, but it just, it just did stick in the throat back then, didn't it? But uh, now it seems like the second time round we've got the right result. The, the number of people and organisations in Droitwich who approached me after that and said, why are the councillors not doing this? Why aren't they supporting it? But to be fair, we have a different set of councillors on the town council now, uh, a, a, a different approach, a different philosophy, and tonight um, they uh, proved to be supportive of this very important um, subject. Now tell us a bit about a dementia-friendly town and what that means, because, I mean, obviously they, there's not, they, you won't need much uh, financial support or any financial support from the council, but it's, it's about making little changes, isn't it, to make a big difference to the people's lives, who's, who it matters to. It is. Basically, what we're going to ask are the community of Droitwich, whether it be a business, the LIDA, the post office, um, the voluntary shops and sporting organisations, to accept in their, the way they conduct their business that anyone who approaches them that has an issue that's regarding dementia or caring for dementia, they will be listened to. And hopefully, if they want to, because this is confidential as well, we would offer them the help and support from the NHS. That's the most important thing we want to get for this. We want more people that have been suffering in silence regarding dementia to get that support. 
because the figures meant so the figures stated earlier mentioned tonight that 270 people currently they reckon around 270 people have dementia in Droitwich Spa but that's going to increase 90 every year so you're talking in the next what seven years or so we could be talking close to a thousand people living with dementia in Droitwich Easily. And if you multiplied that across the Witchhaven districts and our other towns we've got in the county of Worcestershire, you're talking about thousands. And have we got the facilities and the services to cope? Well, the answer is we haven't at the moment, but this initiative of having a dementia-friendly town at least allows you access to advise people and guide people on the what the best thing to do. I think that was the confusing thing last time because Droitwich has um, a groundbreaking um, dementia meeting centre um, that it was trialled, it was a Dutch method, it had never been used before in the UK. Droitwich was the first place in Great Britain for this to be used and it's been successful and now recently we've had the funding put in, put in place to safeguard that for the next four years. So on the one hand it had that and then on the other hand it wasn't going to become a dementia friendly town, it just didn't add up. It was a bit bizarre wasn't it really in terms of the decision um, but of course the centre just the practicality the centre at the moment which is as I said one of the best in the country if not in Europe um, actually let's like caters for 15, 20 people really good the numbers in the next 10 years could go to 40 to 50 people so they've got to have different resources we've got to tackle this problem collectively together uh, give people information give people support so that we can um, help them in a very difficult um, disease and on the ground, though, looking out around the town centre, like you say, all the different organisations, I suppose one of the things will be training staff, won't it? Because it's probably only simple training for one or two members of staff of each organisation, not each bank or each supermarket. But then when a person who comes in who's, who's got dementia, um, it'll be a case of that person dealing with them because they'll know how to deal with them and how to approach them. And I think that's half the battle, isn't it? The organisation behind giving this professional and caring support and training is the Alzheimer's Society. They're the ones who are fronting all the dementia-friendly towns in the country. So they're going to provide us and help us with the training. So as you quite rightly said, in each one of the community organisations, be it a shop, be it a sporting organisation, we will offer training, support, leaflets. So if they come across anything that they think um, resembles dementia or a carer and, and doesn't know what to do, they will have the information to pass that on to the NHS so that we can give those people the support. And not only that, they'll be able to deal with them actually while at the time they're in the shop or at the time they're in there because obviously it's, it's you need, um, not kid gloves because I don't want to belittle it, but you know what I mean, it, you might have to deal differently with someone with dementia than you would, say, a, a person who hasn't got it. That is the trick. All of us that have been trained in dementia awareness know that there are certain very basic things that you can do to help and um, deal appropriately with anybody with dementia. But to do that, you've got to have training. And this is what a dementia-friendly town will do, provide everybody with that concept. So if everybody's listening then, so any community organisations, any sports clubs, any bank uh, managers or, or employees or, or supermarkets or independent shops, what would your message be about this Dementia Friendly Town um, initiative? Contact the NHS, contact any one of the patient groups at the practices we've got, go to the reception, say I'm interested in helping with the dementia friendly town, give us the name, give us the contact, come and join us and from the few of us that are starting this we could end up with dozens representing the town. And that's what we want really, we want a lot of people doing a little rather than the little people doing a lot. Definitely. 
Thank you, Peter. Great news there that Droitwich is on its way to becoming a dementia-friendly town. Bromsgrove also is um, on its way to becoming a, de- a dementia-friendly town as well. And I believe, Adam, that Withall is, is oh, already. Yeah, Withall's got a great, great dementia-friendly aspect to it. Um, they run regular events for, at the Village Hall, uh, I think it's every other Wednesday now. And um, it's really well attended and growing. Um, and from that, even my partner's become a dementia volunteer as well. And thing is, it's an issue that's not going away. If anything, it's going to get worse as the drugs get better and, and we live longer. It's, it's, it's going to be more. And I think, um, I think we've, um, you know, like the Droitwich statistics, for example, like 270 people in Droitwich at the moment living with dementia. And that's going to increase on 90 per year, as we heard. Um, so it's, it is going to get worse. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's a thing, we're living longer, but with different problems, really. But I think what's great about these dementia-friendly villages and towns is that it's getting the community involved, it's getting local people. Somebody three doors down can help, do you know what I mean? And, and it's, it's educating people, educating people along, along the way, because there is a certain approach you have to take with dementia. Well, it is, yeah. Pe- it's very patients. Different people have different problems, and uh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's, it's not one solution for all, but I think... Getting the community involved, I mean, it's not just dementia, is it? No. It's all sorts of other aspects as well. But it's starting to get that let's help each other environment in place. And that's what we need. We need to get back to that. We need to, you always see them statistics these days about people, like, you know, only one in five people know their neighbours. Whereas, like, back in the 80s and 70s and stuff, it was probably even like four in five, wasn't it? Yeah, and I, I don't know whether you do. I, I love looking at pictures of the old Birmingham and things yeah. like that and looking at it. And you look at some of the streets that now, if you walk down them now, they're probably full of litter and everything. And these are in not particularly affluent areas. And when you look at the old pictures, the hedges were absolutely perfect, the gardens were absolutely beautiful. And I mean, I think really we need to get pride back in our community, don't we? And something like starting off with these dementia side really, mm-hmm. really helps. It's getting the community. I think you involved. need to sign up to keep Bromsgrove beautiful as well. Well, that's it, isn't it? Yeah, you Bromsgrove go. That's it. Now you've done it. I'll be lot. passing your your details on. They're great. They're great uh, supporters of, of the standard as we are of them. So, um, so yeah, keep Bromsgrove beautiful. They were good uh, when they came in. Moving on to other other um, issues now, and this was an issue yesterday, and it did affect roads and it did affect streets. It was the flash flooding in Bromsgrove yesterday morning. I've timed it right this week, actually, because I was at Droitwich Town Council on Monday, so I drove in. I'm at Bromsgrove District Council tonight, so I've drove in, uh, I've driven in. And yesterday, I was on the train, which was perfect timing for me because I was able to go on Twitter and all the sites and stuff and cl- collaborate all the flood warnings and the road closures and everything while I was on my way in at about half seven, eight, eight a.m. in the morning. And we had loads of people on that website yesterday looking for traffic and travel updates, and quite rightly so. Bromsgrove's always been bad, hasn't it, um, for flooding and the town centre? I'm talking now, not the district. Um, it, it, it's, we've always had issues with the surrounding roads. Yeah, I, I thought, as you're probably aware, the Withall floods last year is actually my division. Yeah, as well, so yeah. I had over 300 homes affected. And actually yesterday I was out with a team, we were actually by one of the streams. And what's quite interesting now is one of the things we did after the Withall floods that I think you know you can look at in other areas as well is they've got stream monitors now. Hmm. So what happens is as the level of the stream comes up, you get an alert through to your mobile phone, so they're using technology. And invariably what you'll find is it's really difficult with the maintenance of Brooks and Streams because it can be that each individual homeowner has to maintain their own part of the stream. But what you'll find is you've got detritus has been washed down the stream. It gets against the grate, it all backs up, and then that produces the flooding. So 
things like using technology in that way is ideal for it, really. But um, I think it's the, the the storms that we're getting now seem to be more tropical in nature than yeah. they used to be. So you're getting a lot heavier rain in a lot shorter period. And certainly what I'm seeing is once the rain stops, it goes away all right. It's just that initial rush. It's the equivalent to tipping a bucket of water into a sink with a small plug hole, isn't it? Well, by the very nature that we didn't actually hear anything about with all yesterday, I think that shows that whatever work was done has actually paid off. Yeah, and, and, and it's work in progress as well. There's quite a lot more schemes being looked at in that area. And obviously, it, with my Worcestershire County Council hat on as well, I think really, obviously, flooding is a big aspect of the situation in Worcestershire, and it's something that's being addressed... And I think they do a really good job. I mean, I cannot fault the help we had in Withall last year. was just unbelievable. But you think, I look after, I think as a county council or something like 3,500 houses, 300, over 300 were flooded internally. Nice. And what devastated me more than anything is those elderly people, and ironically, coming back to what we were talking about earlier with the housing side, have been forced out of their houses at the age of 75 or 80, and they have nowhere local to go because no. we haven't got the, the housing in that area. So, unfortunately, a lot ended up in care, and they may not ever come back to their homes. So it, mm. it has a major effect on everybody, really. But I think, I think really, we certainly, I've seen, we're, we're very much on the board, and those flood monitors give you an alert, so you can get people on site straight away, rather than having to deal with the event after it's happened. As long as you don't um, put the court leads um, Brooke Looker out of a job as well, that's the thing. But no, the, 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 it happened so quickly. Um, well, I say it happened so quickly. Obviously, it was torrential rain overnight and there was thunderstorms and everything else. Um, the Kidderminster Road outside Sanders Park, always a bad one. That was badly flooded. Perryfields Road, vehicles were stuck in flood water near Bromsgrove Rugby Club in Finstall. And going across the border, um, obviously, we cover bits of South Birmingham as well. Longbridge Lane in Longbridge um, was stricken. Um, that's, um, there's some pictures on the news of that actually that was quite a bad by the railway station there uh, there were long delays on the 144 bus which operates between Worcester and Birmingham obviously via Bromsgrove and Droywich and also the northbound carriageway of the M5 not this bit but further um, above Quinton um, that was completely shut for a time but the worst hit road in Bromsgrove as it sometimes is well as it nine times out of ten it is um, the A38 by Morrison's um, which the police had to actually close for a time and divert the traffic around the area um, driver Tracy Gardner told the standard it was absolute chaos the manhole covers burst open and people could simply not get through I went to Aldi and the exit that the cars were supposed to use was unnegotiable, so drivers had to come in and out of the entrance. It was extremely dangerous. Paige Kemp from nearby Superblind said um, the A38 and car park were completely flooded. Whenever a car went by, we had a tidal wave of water. It didn't reach the door, quite reach the door, but it nearly did. We spoke to the highways teams this morning. They did say, because some people asked if the um, drains had been blocked, um, but they said that you know um, John Fraser and his team were down there yesterday, and um, they searched through the um, the manholes and it wasn't blocked it was just the sheer volume of rainwater took its toll and once they'd cleared that and once the rain had stopped um, it did uh, it did it was everything was fine again um, in some places in the UK I know there's a month's worth of rain falling in one day yesterday so that just shows you the extent of the rain thankfully that uh, it's a bit brighter <laughs> it's not uh, it's not tropical but it's uh, it's a bit brighter see that's what you were saying about the tropical storms you don't mind tropical storms if you get the rest of the weather as well the tropical heat um 
We've got um, the other big story this week, Thomas Cook, obviously, um, the demise of Thomas Cook on Sunday. We've, got, we've spoken to some holidaymakers. Um, and people are saying to us on Facebook, um, they've been quite critical actually, they're saying, why haven't you spoken to people who've lost their jobs? And we will, we do want to speak to people who've lost their jobs, but obviously I don't, if you don't know anyone who's at Thomas Cook, and we have put a call out there, and I've, um, a couple of people did say that on the Facebook page, and I have personally messaged those to say, look, you, you work for Thomas Cook, Give us your contact details, and we will do a story about the job losses locally. Um, but obviously, we're waiting for that. Um, holiday makers affected as well. So there's going to be more about that in the paper this week, and hopefully, we'll have spoken to um, to some people who um, have had the horrible impact of, of, of losing their job. And uh, hopefully, we'll get something in there um, this week. I know there's a couple of um, places in Birmingham we've actually already jumped up to say you know we're travel agents and we're, we're prepared to offer jobs to people so if you are in that predicament at thomas cook have a look around um and you'll see some uh, some companies um looking to hopefully employ some of the thomas cook workforce because obviously they'll have the skills and knowledge won't they i mean well yeah i mean i mean the the interesting thing with that as well is actually the sheer amount of debt that the company was carrying I mean, I think they were talking about 1.5 billion or something. 1.7, I think it was. 1.7 billion. billion. I mean, honestly, it's ridiculous, isn't it, really? The fact that, that it money got order? to that stage. And the level of pay, obviously, that's hit the thing that the chief executives have been paying. So let's hope they uh, do the right thing and start looking at giving some of it back to some of us. Well, we saw that with MG Rover as well. Yeah, that's right. Happens a lot, yeah. doesn't it? But let's hope they get sorted fairly quickly. Um, a couple of stories in Droitwich as well, because um, we spoke to Sarah Kent, um, the sergeant in Droitwich. Um, she was saying there's been an increase in sneaking burglaries over the summer, which is uncharacteristically high. Um, apparently, um, properties now, people are um, sneaking in, even when people are at home and stealing valuable items, um, which are easy to conceal, such as purses, cash, jewellery. Um, so people have just been warned, not just in Droitwich, anywhere really, because we've had some destruction burglaries of late in Bromsgrove um, and, uh, and these sneaking ones. Because um, Sarah pointed out, she said, you know, if you're upstairs um, having a shower or, you know, you're away, people don't tend to... People do... Every, most people, I would say, 99% of people lock their doors when they leave the house. But you don't think about it so much. If you've got one of these doors that doesn't lock automatically, like a, if you've got a Yale, obviously that'll just lock, won't it? Um, I'm sure other makes of those kind of locks are available. Um, but um, but when you, if you're in the house and she, what she wants and what she thinks other people should do is get into the habit of locking doors when they're inside. Absolutely. And windows. Absolutely. And one of the things I'll say, certainly when I've been out delivering leaflets or talking to the residents, you'd be amazed how many times you come up to a front door with the keys hanging out of the door hmm. or even on the cars. You know, and, and I think sometimes you're in a rush, you've got a couple of kids you're trying to put into the house or whatever else you don't think, but I think that's really good advice. Just make sure you do leave the key on the inside and lock the door when you come in. It's a simple thing, and it's something that once you get into the habit of doing... You, you will do it naturally, won't you? But it's, uh, it, it's obviously taking that, getting that in, ingrained into your head. Um, people in Droitwich, um, whose path is blocked, this is another one from Sergeant Sarah Kent. Um, Councillor Bob Brooks raised this in the meeting on Monday, and because they've seen it a lot in Bromsgrove districts, Bromsgrove Safe and Neighbourhood team are really good at this, actually, to be fair, um, with cars, you know, parking on the pavement right up against hedges and, and people can't get through. Now, there has always been a bit of, um, you know, an issue with this, hasn't there? You'll know this with the council. Is it the council's parking? parking wardens who are responsible is it the police and there was always that who do we call in what respect and then there was different 
people were saying, oh, it's different. It depends on the highway code. If they broke, if they breached this, then it's, it's an enforcement issue and all that. But now it seems like it is getting more clearer because in London there's, there's basically a no parking on the pavement um, rule full stop and we are moving towards that and I've noticed a few times now I mean a lot of the time that the police will just leave a warning notice I mean I think they can prosecute them but um, Sergeant Kent said on Monday if you are going to report this to the police um, can you please uh, make sure you um, actually have someone who's obstructed it can't be someone just looking out the window going oh I think I think a bush chair will be uh, will be obstructed there or I think a, a wheelchair or a mobility scooter person won't be able to get through what they have to do is they have to actually you have to ha- have a physical person there who has been obstructed because they will need to make a statement but it will it will help hopefully clamp down on this issue yeah this is quite an emotive topic really and it's funny you should bring it up because I think I'm quite close to having the first pavement parking ban approved in, in Withall. I don't know whether you know an area called Dickens Heath in Yeah, I do. They've actually done it through a bylaw. Oh, so, right. But the problem you've got, obviously, you've, you've got old infrastructure with houses that were designed probably not even for a car in mind, maybe one. And then when you go there now, they might have four cars, so where do they park? So I think the key thing is, if you had a blanket plan across the area, it would, it would inconvenience as many people as it mm. solves. So I think you've got to look at local areas. And I've got to specific problem outside a school hmm. and surrounding areas where you've got people that are disabled that can't navigate those pathways. So I think really we're going to probably try it as a pilot. I think it's the first one in Worcestershire. And if it comes up off, hmm. then it could be a recipe for solving the problem elsewhere. But some people have got very narrow roads and it, it's very difficult to deal with it. And it creates quite a big problem for Worcestershire County Council as well because the pavements aren't designed to carry the weight of a van. No. So when you see your poor quality of pavement or whatever else, mm. invariably, it's because somebody's been parking an Arctic on it. But I think a lot of the time it is down to um, common sense, isn't it? I mean, there are roads, even when the road is wide enough and the pavement's wide enough, but people will still park more or less all on the pavement, right next up close to the hedge. It's illegal, it's irresponsible and it's dangerous. And there will be times when, when the road's too, too narrow and, and the pavement's too narrow, but I think on a lot of them, if you look at them, that, that there is space to get a car and a mobility scooter or a pushchair through. I think you're dead right. I mean, I, I, honestly, you walk around sometimes, you see a really wide road and somebody's parked on a pavement. And I think it's just a habit they've got into. It's a bit mm. like le- leaving the door unlocked, isn't yeah. it, really? I mean, what you've got to think is, do I really need to put this car on the pavement here? Because the other thing that happens, particularly in areas where you've got speeding, if you do park the car fully on the road, it acts like a traffic calming. So it does well, slow the we traffic. had a letter. We had a letter explaining that very thing in Droitwich because they were saying that there's a lot of speeding motorists, and then they were complaining about people from the station. I know that is an issue in Droitwich because, especially with the bringing the railway station car parking charges in now, um, that there was some people complaining, and, and a, a lady actually wrote in to say it actually does act as a, 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 a traffic calming measure because people can't speed when there's when there's when there's park park cars. Perhaps it's uh, we've got to raise a bit of an awareness of it, really, and say you know sort of think pavement or whatever slogan mm. we can think and, and then really think about what you're doing but certainly within my area I know if they did park on the roads properly it would really then solve two problems one you'll be able to walk down the pavement with your push chair or your mobility scooter and two it would slow the traffic down definitely got some good news as well for Droitwich Police while we're on the subject 10 new officers come in as part of the improvements um, so that's great news um, because you've got to admit Adam um, your party they weren't the best before were they when they made the police cuts but we do seem to be getting back to those numbers now 
you have to live within your means, don't you? And everybody suffers, and we've suffered for the, the, the debt we were left with, really. But I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think Bromsgate's got 25 extra officers coming in. Yeah. And there's more planned. And that makes a hell of a difference, because what that can do is start to deal with specific crimes targeted and everything. And I think it's great news. I've been lobbying Sajid and all sorts of ministers over a particularly long time for, the, for this type of action. And really, when you look at what it costs to the benefit it brings... It's an absolute win-win situation. The more uh, police, the better at the moment. Definitely, and and, and I think the spiralling crime in, in different areas, the knife crime and stuff, is down to the cuts. Now, I know you'll say you've got to live within your means and stuff, but I think most Conservatives would admit that the, the cuts that the police have undergone were too savage. My area, the biggest issue facing all of my residents was crime. There's no doubt about it. And, and, and the problem you've got is when you drill into it, it's where that crime's coming from. You talk about the knife crime, then when you look at it, it may well be drug-related. So, you know, mm. there's a lot of things that I think we can do, and, I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to look where is this crime coming from and, and what what is the reason for it. And particularly in the north of the area, we've got a lot of car crime from gangs coming into Birmingham. You've got county lines issues with drugs and everything else as well. And I think the people out there that are buying drugs, you've got to work out the reason you're buying those drugs, but that's why we've got the crime. Oh, yeah, no, I realise that. And, and county lines is a big problem for all our villages and towns and uh, in Worcestershire uh, alone. I mean, we've got Malvern, Droid, which they've all, they've all had the problems. But I do think it was such a shame. And I think the problem is, is with those cuts back, um, under the Theresa May government, you had um, obviously she had to save money, but some of the officers she was losing, um, and some of them all those years' experience, it does mean now that we're having to play catch up, and you've got to recruit all these new officers and get them up to speed. And this is what I mean. Um, this is what um, and, uh, Droitwich, these Droitwich officers will have to do now. That they're, they're coming in, they're response officers. It's going to be great news for Droitwich. Hopefully, it will let help, it'll cut the crime in Droitwich. Um, and also, but they've got to have to take time to um, learn the area, um, liaise with the community, find out who they should be keeping an eye on, who they, who's, who's okay, that kind of thing, and, and who can offer them help, that kind of, that kind of thing. And, and it all takes time to redress. Yeah, it does, I suppose. But at the end of the day, if you've got somebody on the street in uniform, it's starting to stop crime. You know, if they're younger, they can probably run a bit quicker. They might be able to catch who they're chasing. But really, it's, it's, it's brilliant to see. And I mean, look, we can look back in the past, can't we? Or we can look to the future. And, and the future now looks a lot better on the crime side. Sajid has been probably majorly responsible for this from his position as, as the Home Secretary. He's been banging this drum for an awful long time. And to be honest, isn't it brilliant that when you able to talk to an MP and say this is a problem that you actually finally see somebody putting the money where the mouth is and actually doing something about it and I think if we can get crime down it makes people feel a lot safer on the streets and it, it's just a much better well-being I think, I think the other thing is as well is a lot of the time I know crime has increased but there is also the fear of crime as well and having office, more officers on the streets more response officers people hopefully response times improving because they'll have more, more people to attend hopefully that will also cut the fear of crime with the crime well, I've done quite a lot with Smartwater. I don't know whether you, you're aware of that. We, we've district. done loads on Smartwater. Ruby becoming a, a Smartwater village. Yeah, I think well, it was well, Bentley. Well, was Bentley's well, basically crime-free now after the I, Smartwater. I, I put out something like 1,400 kits in Whithall, I think, and, and it's, again, using technology, you see. Mm. I mean, if you think about it, I, I, I mean, I'll push really. I don't know why nationally we don't give everybody a set of Smartwater free mm. who's got a house. If you think, if we've got, I don't know, what, 30 million houses at 10 quid each, 300 million quid and you eliminate burglary 
Yeah. I mean, how much time is that going to save the police? Huh. So it's spending to save, isn't it? And then that perception and fear of crime that you've talked about, it's dealt with, isn't it? At least they feel like they're doing something about it. And what you were saying really about being able to open the door, if you've got a smart water sticker on there, even if you've left your door open, they aren't going to want to pick no, it up. No. And if they know, they, if they get caught with it, they know where it's come from. Definitely. Um, although we we will point out that's not <laughs> that's not a, a failsafe for, uh, for, for for locking your door. So uh, please do that as well. Um, and finally, we'll just before we move on to the sport, um, Cofton Hackett's, um They've got the brand new Cofton Village Hall opening. It's already open, but it's the official launch this weekend. Um, it's a one million pound village hall. It's a new state of the art on East Works Drive and Gravely Lane. There's going to be showcases this weekend, Saturday and Sunday, 12.30 till 4.30. So get yourself down there if you live around that area because Cofton's had a big problem with not having anywhere where the residents can meet. Um, and um, so now this is all going to be addressed. This new Cofton Hall, it's a 4,500-square-foot building. You've got a kitchen, a hall, an office, a meeting room, a community room, sheltered outdoor activity area. And it's part of St. Modwin's ongoing regeneration of the former Longbridge site. It's a vital asset for the community. They want to hear from people as well, people who are wanting to get involved. Um, obviously, they'll be taking bookings if you want to set up a community activity there, the meetings, um, you know, you, you name it. They're also looking for people to, they still need some funds as well for it. So if you're interested in fundraising, the organisers want to hear from you. Um, you can email info at coftonvillagehall.org for more information. Or if you want to um, donate to the course, gofundme.com forward slash coftonvillagehall. But don't worry if you didn't see those because all this story is on our website and will be in the paper this week so you can get all the information there. Quickly moving on to sport, Bromsgrove Sporting return to league action at the Victoria Ground to, on Saturday, 3pm. Uh, They'll be playing um, Needham Market. Now, they weren't playing, they weren't in action last week, so they've had a bit of a break. So they should be nice and fresh and uh, hopefully going to win. They so far have not won at home in the league, so come on, you Rouselers, you make sure you uh, get, get three points on Saturday. Sporting are currently thir- uh, 14th in the league, and Needham Market, the visitors, are 16th. Um, Needham have got eight points, Bromsgrove nine, and sandwiched in between the two is Redditch United. So Bromsgrove above Redditch United. That's how we want it to stay in the league. So come on, Bromsgrove. A nice three points on Saturday afternoon. Give those all those fans that you get every week something to cheer about. Um, Droitwich Spar FC, they drew 1-1 with Wren's Nest um, away from home. So that's a, a, a decent result. And they went 1-0 down after 50 minutes. They were, they were looking a bit lacklustre, um, judging by the report. But then um, Jack Davies was um, brought on, the substitute. He spurred them into life. And Rudd's through ball fell to Tilbury, who slotted home for the equaliser. Droitwich are currently seventh in the division on seven points, eight points off top spot, but with two games in hand, so they can narrow that gap a little bit. But they've got an interesting one this weekend. They've got Smedley Crook Cup action with Kidderminster Harriers. They're away to the Kidderminster Harriers under 21s. So Droitwich are there at 3pm. So enjoy the day out if you are travelling from Droitwich to watch them. And indeed, if you're going down the Victoria Ground. Good luck to Bromsgrove and Droitwich this weekend, and we'll let you know how they got on next week. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Adam. Thank you very much for having me. Remember, if you want daily updates, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Facebook and Twitter, we all our stories go onto our pages, so you can get updates throughout the day. Obviously, we've got our they go to our website, stroitwichstandard.co.uk and bromsgrovestandard.co.uk. You can email us, message us on social media. There really is no reason why you can't get in touch with us so if you've heard anything on this podcast read anything in the paper read anything on the on our websites then uh, please do get in touch and let us know or if you have any ideas or you want to come on 
please let us know in the meantime have a great week hopefully we've seen the worst of the rain and we're going to get glorious autumnal sunshine for the rest we'll reconvene at the same time next week in the meantime have a good one <laughs>